All right, so as I said, we are going to go back into CTV on Guys Take 55 here. We're going to talk about the real economics involved, where I was wrong in Guys Take 54 and why, and a little bit more about some of the features of the idea, the concept of commitments in a Bitcoin transaction. So let's get into it. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I am Guy Swan, and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up, guys? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible. This is the show where you learn everything there is to know about Bitcoin. We read all of the best stuff, we cover all the topics, we dig into the technology and the stuff that's happening in the space. And I am your host, Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. This episode is mostly going to be a follow-up to Guy's Take 54, where I talked about the transaction grenades and what I thought, or what I considered the broken economics of the CTV batching and how this was being proposed as like, a really beneficial thing, and I was not seeing it that way, and I was having a really hard time piecing together how people, other people weren't seeing this. And what's funny is that when I originally proposed this, I didn't get much, I didn't really get an answer. Even when I was talking to Shinobi and Jeremy, uh, it's funny, I think it really was just because they didn't understand kind of my, one of my fundamental points about how CTV worked that I was actually making a mistake on. So they weren't addressing why I was wrong about the economics. They were just kind of waving away the economics. They, they, were, they were kind of just saying that, oh, we, we do this with pre-signed transactions on Lightning and channel factories. That's how all of this stuff works. And I was like, well, that is not the same thing as CTV batching. And as I understood it, it wasn't. It did not apply. But... I was actually fundamentally missing something and it took arguing with like another 20 other people to to kind of break it down to the singular point at the very foundation of my argument that I was actually wrong about that was leading me to extrapolate this scenario that doesn't actually make sense. So we're going to get into it. It's actually a huge relief because what's funny is that this was not specific to CTV. Like what I was talking about was actually more of a commitment batching problem. Like if you could batch transactions with commitments that the user themselves had to unroll, then it didn't matter whether you were using OpTX hash or uh, the OpCTV or any of the other like commitment uh, things that were proposed. It kind of sounded like they all had this problem. Like it was a fundamental problem with commitments. So this is actually a huge relief, to be perfectly honest. It was bugging me for a few days. I wasted way, well, I wouldn't say wasted because I figured out the answer. Um, but I spent an enormous amount of time arguing with people on Twitter for like two or three days trying to get someone to give me a solid answer against this. And I also uh, was in the process of trying to build an argument to the contrary basically an argument for commitments and for CTV uh, as to why we would want the transaction grenade and the block space debt, quote-unquote, market, whatever you want to call it, 
Um, and, uh, uh, luckily I don't really have to argue what I was intending to argue because I was simply wrong about one of the major ways that it worked. Um, and it was kind of a critical piece to the entire little economic puzzle that I laid out. Um, so before we get into it, the first thing I'm actually going to do is just kind of give a summary of the problem that I laid out in episode 54 and the important pieces that make that possible. And then I'm going to get into exactly which piece of it I was wrong about and why and how it plays out uh, in the context of the correct way that CTV or that commitments in general work in these transaction batching setups. So really quick before we do, uh, I just want to thank our sponsors to the show. A shout out to Bitbox for keeping my shit safe and just being a great little hardware wallet. It has it has gotten me through a very long time now, and it has been great the whole time. I now have a handful of them. <laughs> uh, I've been stacking Bitboxes, um, and uh, and they've been a great sponsor to the show as well. So a shout out to them, and a huge thank you to Swan Bitcoin, also a very long-term sponsor who has been with us since the beginning, and also the best place to stack Bitcoin. I stack my Bitboxes and at you know at home, and I stack my Bitcoin on Swan, and I withdraw it straight to my Bitbox. And lastly, the other way that I stack is even in my fiat life. I use the Fold card. It is my dominant. It is my number one fiat banking now, and I get sats back on literally everything I do. And it is it feels amazing, especially when you get a price dip like this. You get so many sats on all, all of my purchases, and I'm saving up my spins. It's good shit. A huge thanks to all three for keeping the lights on over here. Okay, so let's go over really quickly. Um, for those of you who have not listened to Guys Take 54, uh, the little economic problem that I laid out and what it was essentially based off of. So a what is a commitment? What is, what is uh, op CTV, check template verify is what it's called, and what does it enable? Essentially, it is an op code that allows you to detail what the parameters of the next transaction are going to be. So right now, so it's kind of like a self-reflexive op code. It lets you say, this is just how you can spend it by explicitly saying this is what you can put in the transaction as far as an output, uh, like like whose address is it going to, how much are you sending, etc. So it's a, a much more concrete and explicit way to say this person is going to receive this amount of money from this address while not actually having to post that transaction yet. You can essentially detail it in the actual address, in the details of the transaction, being sent to. So I can essentially create an address that is in created in my wallet, but I can say point one of it goes to my wife, point one of it goes to my sister, point one of it goes to my brother, and I can commit to that information ahead of time. It's going to go to their address, it's going to be explicitly this amount, and then I can't send from that address without broadcasting those transactions that I committed to. They're essentially embedded in the address itself the next thing I was going to do with it. So what's really clever about this design is this is exactly kind of how you use 
pre-signed transactions in something like the Lightning Network, in Layer 2 scaling systems, such that you can write a transaction and have it pre-signed in a multi-sig channel over Lightning and have it so that you know, because they have already signed it, that you are going to get your coins. Well, this is essentially a way to do that without needing your signature. As long as they commit to it, you can prove that it's part of the address that was sent to. So you can essentially do what you are able to do with Lightning, except non-interactively. You can do it from one side of the equation. And that really simplifies a lot of the setups and the idea of payment pools and channel factories, all of these like kind of group payment systems and these cooperative agreements to be able to do lots of movement and lots of uh, uh, you know channels that are off chain rather than explicitly just payments inside of a channel. And then also like, like little tiny, like small group sort of side chain arrangements. There's just a lot you can do with it because you can essentially prove and have this guarantee that no matter what, this address can't be spent without the coins going to you. And you can do this non-interactively, meaning that you can give them the data and you can be offline and go do something else so they can commit to it. And then you can prove later that that, that commitment is there. Now, it's not quite so clean. There are a little pieces to it. You have to have the path in the, the template, in the, in the CTV hash tree. Like there is some information that needs to be exchanged, but it's far simpler and far more certain. Like there's no, there's no revocation period, right? Like, like the way Lightning Network works is that when you're, when you're updating these things, you have to have that time lock. Uh, and so in this case, if you're having a group ownership of a single UTXO, there's not really a time lock issue here. I mean, you could put in a time lock and you could uh, make a sort of lightning situation where you can update it and you just have this way to go back to the court of Bitcoin and have your ownership of it secured by broadcasting a transaction. But if you just want it static and you just want it so that you know that even within just this one UTXO, that is actually, you know, 10 people or 20 people cooperating to own Bitcoin together so that, you know, there's no on-chain footprint or there's no explicit detail as to who owns what. Well, you don't really have to be online. You don't have to worry about it. Your commitment is essentially as good as your ownership. It just requires one broadcast to fulfill that commitment. So one transaction has to be put posted on-chain in order for that to be uh, concluded or executed, so to speak. Now, where and why was I thinking that this could be a problem? The idea is that, um, and this is actually sold as part of it. Jeremy details this out in one of his uh, uh, talks on YouTube. And I also realized that one of the reasons I was having a really, really hard time following his video, which I did not understand, um, it was driving me crazy because what he was talking about did not seem to correspond with what I was looking at on the screen. And in going back and bouncing back and forth and going back to the beginning, I found out that in the video, the, the audio was literally like 30 seconds or a minute behind the actual video. But the video was super low quality, so I couldn't tell that his mouth wasn't lining up with it because I, I mean, I, there was no way even with the video that I could see what he was saying um, like it was super low resolution as if, you know, it was a zoom call with a, you know, his video in the top corner 
uh, on a bad internet connection. Like there was just no connecting what he was saying to the actual audio. Um, so that was really throwing me for a loop. So that didn't help me in trying to understand the pieces of the puzzle here. But something that he and numerous other people have sold as a benefit of CTV is that you can batch thousands of commitments together behind a single UTXO. And that immediately kind of scared me. First, it sounds great. But the problem with the commitment is that you can't get around it. If you commit to doing something in that transaction, in that UTXO, you essentially have to do it at some point. Um, either that or you, you know, lose the key and it's just burned, right? Just like you just lost keys to any sort of coins and they just can't move anymore. But essentially the only exit to it because of that opcode is that you have to fulfill the commitment. So if you batch, quote unquote, withdrawal, a thousand different users in a single transaction where you have just committed to all of those addresses being sent to, um, you know, you quote unquote have saved a lot of money up front because it's just one address with one balance of Bitcoin. But hidden inside that is the expansion of that that has to occur into a thousand different addresses and a thousand different balances which has this huge asymmetry where you can onboard people by the thousands, by the millions, very, very quickly, but then to expand it, you, you have to expand it. That's why I called it uh, or John Carvalho's terminology, which I still like, um, even though it kind of seems negative, but I st it's still just fun, and I think it is kind of an interesting way to think about it, is that it's a transaction grenade. It's one UTXO that immediately, that eventually blows up into a thousand different UTXOs. So that's why I refer to it as the idea of block space debt. It's a form of saying that we're going to use a thousand transactions worth of space in the future, but right now we're just going to basically commit to using that without actually using it yet. So it becomes a liability. Now that on its face is not a bad thing. Neither one of those things are inherently negative. And I don't even mean to use the term debt as if it's a negative thing. Like you're just committing, I mean, that's, you could kind of say that's what Lightning Network is, right? It's a, you have committed to sending a transaction, uh, to broadcasting a transaction to exit with your ownership if the time comes that you need to do that. So it's quote-unquote block space debt, but it's a single transaction worth of block space debt. One channel produces the, uh, the quote-unquote debt of having one on-chain transaction. So it's far more symmetrical in the fact that, you know, it opens and closes. The Lightning Network grows and shrinks, essentially, at the same pace or at the same uh, rate of data usage on the blockchain, on the time chain. This, however, would be asymmetrical heavily to the front side, is that there's almost no upfront data usage, but to exit, to claim ownership, to fulfill the commitments, you could have 10 transactions, you could have a thousand transactions, you could have a million transactions. So that asymmetry just immediately just said, okay, so let's think about the economics of this. Now, if you're putting that, uh, that debt onto yourself, 
if you're putting that commitment to use block space on yourself, well, then the economics are aligned. The incentives are aligned. And that means that when block space is empty, you're going to use it. When block space is full, you're going to, uh, you're going to hang on to it, right? That's the exact same thing now with having a whole bunch of UTXOs where a bunch of different people send you Bitcoin to the same address uh, and you, know, you have to aggregate those later. Um, just for anybody who doesn't know, uh, every single time somebody sends you Bitcoin to the exact same address, well, that creates a separate UTXO. And when your wallet spends them, if you want to spend all of it all together, you're actually aggregating, like let's say every single day I get sent $10. And that happens for 100 days. Um, and that's to a single Bitcoin address of mine. Well, I actually have 100 UTXOs. That means there's 100 transactions on the time chain that I have to reference if I want to send $1,000 worth of Bitcoin or just let's call it let's call it 100,000 sats and I'm getting 1,000 sats a day because obviously the dollar value moves. But I have to do, um, uh, in order to move 100,000 sats in that situation, I have to reference 1,000, or excuse me, 100 different transactions where I received 1,000 sats each, which means this transaction is going to be huge. It's going to be tons and tons of data. But that is a lot, the economic incentives are aligned because if block space is empty, if I see a bunch of, you know, I go on mempool.space or my own like Umbral or embassy node and see that the mempool is basically empty and there's like three empty blocks back to back. Well, I'm like, well, crap, I can aggregate all of that now and pay next to nothing in fees. Same happens with an exchange. They need to batch a whole bunch of withdrawals. Well, they have the opportunity to move a lot of funds or chuck close channels and reopen channels, move liquidity, et cetera, et cetera, if, uh, if block space is empty. Why did I think CTV batching changed this? And does it actually? Well, the, the short answer is no, it doesn't change this. But I definitely thought it did when I first learned about it. So here's why. When I was trying to figure out how you would, like what the value of a commitment batch transaction would be, somehow I was getting the impression that the people who have, who were committed to in the transaction, so let's use an example of I am sending a transaction to 10 different people, or I want to, but block space is like super congested right now. So I send it to an address that is committing to those 10 people and the amount of Bitcoin that each one of them are going to, are going to receive, and you are one of those people. Well, I was under the impression that the commitment itself the address and the amount, the, the transaction data could actually unroll, could actually spend that output by itself such that I could basically put this on chain and then say, whenever block space is empty, you can now unroll this transaction by, by using the commitment data that, uh, that, is, that is put into this transaction. So it would almost be like the address was sort of a the essentially the commitment took the place of the private key or of the public key so the commitment itself was the new ownership um the ctv the the op ctv script was the only thing that was keeping that bitcoin safe 
and that I, or excuse me, that you or anybody I was sending it to could unroll it without me being there. Now, why would that be a problem? The reason that's a problem is because I am offloading, I am creating the transaction debt, right? I'm creating the block space, uh, the commitment to use block space by saying in this one UTXO, it is going to spend out to 10 different addresses, to 10 different UTXOs later on. But I am not the one paying for it. All 10 people who were receiving that Bitcoin were the ones that would be paying for it in the scenario as I thought it worked. And the fact that you could do this with a thousand participants, with a million participants, that would mean that somebody would be able to create all of this potential cost in fees and time and space data required on the time chain without ever actually paying for it. And exchanges, they're in the business of making money and saving money. If they have a way to batch transactions where they don't pay any fee whatsoever, where they can take a thousand UTXOs and smash it down into one, and that's all they have to pay for, who wouldn't use that? And even if it's pushing the fees onto the customer, you think Coinbase wouldn't do that? Like, I have, like that Coinbase was my prime example. And people kept saying, well, why would they do that? Um, and, and this was another reason why it was concerning to me is because these were the answers I was getting were like, like, why would Coinbase do that? That would be bad for their customers. It's like Coinbase does shit that's bad for their customers all the time. They just pushed Terra, USD, and Luna onto customers and promoted that shit. Do, do they care now? Are they going to apologize? Are they going to pay them back? No. So the fact that that was a response that I was getting was even concerning because I thought that meant I was right. And the worst thing about it was that the incentives would mean they were incentivized to use this even when block space was free. When, there, when the mempool was empty, it's still a thousand times cheaper to batch transaction, batch uh withdraw to a single transaction uh, than it, or to a single address than it is to batch withdrawal to a thousand addresses. So what did I get wrong? Let's pause right here and talk about our sponsor. You know, keeping your Bitcoin safe is not that hard. All you have to do is get a BitBox O2. It is a secure box to keep your bits. It's a BitBox. Everything about your ownership of Bitcoin is about your keys. It's all cryptography, man. If you didn't generate your keys, then you don't have your coins. If you put those keys on the internet, somebody else probably has your coins. And if you don't back up your keys, in the case of a lost phone, a deleted wallet, or worst of all, you lost your BitBox, you know, because maybe you dropped it off the side of the boat while you are posing with it for Instagram. But if you didn't back them up, your Bitcoins are gone. Luckily... The BitBox has the answer to all of these concerns. It generates the keys securely on the device. They never leave it. It never touches your computer. It signs transactions for you so that your phone never has your coins. And you back them up during the initial setup process on the micro SD card that you get with it. And it literally takes a couple of seconds. The BitBox O2 literally makes it simple, easy, and safe. Your Bitcoin deserves it. Get yourself a BitBox and 5% off by going to guyswan.com slash BitBox. So what did I get wrong? 
the user can't unroll it. If the exchange generates the address from their public key and then just adds the script committing to all of those withdrawals, still the only one who can spend it is Coinbase. It's just a promise. It's just a it's just saying that don't worry, you're going to get your coins, uh, but right now it's still in our wallet. And essentially they can't revoke that promise because they have committed to sending that Bitcoin directly to you. But in that case, Coinbase is still the only one that can unroll it, which means the transaction grenade, the block space debt that they are creating, they're the only ones who pay for it. Which means that when block space is freely available, they sure as shit better unroll that quick because otherwise they might have to pay for that when congestion is high. And that 100% changes the economic incentives involved. So how would it be that you could actually have it so that those users, those individual users could unroll it? You actually have to generate the address itself that you're sending it to with all of their public keys as part of it. Essentially, as a as one of you know in uh, public keys that are involved in this, you would generate the address jointly, which means that all those participants or all those different users actually have to actively participate in the creation of the address and all of the commitment data and save their part of it, their little part of the hash tree and their key related to it in order to unroll it. Or the other, the other uh, uh, way that you could possibly do it is that if Coinbase literally handed over the private key to that address, plus the, the path and the hash to each one of the individual users, to all 1,000 users, then they could unroll it. But that would be ridiculous. And it becomes a whole, it's whole orchestration of trying to exchange private keys and... Uh, additionally, from like it, it would make no sense. It it essentially takes this from being like a useful tool to being more of a headache than just not using it altogether. So, thank the Lord Satoshi, the economics are aligned. If Coinbase creates a transaction grenade, the only person that it can blow up to is them. Like they can't throw it at anybody else and make it blow up on like make somebody else pay the price. They're going to be holding, they are holding the transaction grenade and they're the only ones that can pull the pin and they can't let go of it. They are paying for all of the UTXOs that they commit to. That is a very, very good thing. The funny thing about it is that it kind of makes CTV batch, the fact that I've heard about this mechanism in so many different places as if it's like a really good benefit seems silly because suddenly it means like, CTV batch transactions in this way are kind of useless. Like, they're not really, it's really just a transaction to say we're going to do a transaction later, but that transaction isn't going to be any smaller. Like, you're not, it's not batching. Like, normal batching actually makes it so you have less data put to the chain that you can remove some of the signatures, that you can batch some of the signatures because they're your signatures. Uh, Taproot helps that as well, um, that you can do different signatures for different inputs or for the same input. You can, you can cross-batch them if they're all yours, um, uh, and there will be a, bit, a way soon to actually 
CISA, that's, that's something that they talk about a lot. CISA, CISA, I don't know how you say it. A CISA, Cross Input Signature Aggregation. It's something that they hope to do with Taproot in the future, where even different participants with different inputs can batch together and they can basically combine all their signatures because that's a really, really data-heavy part of every transaction. So lots of great ag aggregation methods and batching opportunities to make a lot of transactions into one transaction and make it much, much smaller and much, much more cost-effective. The CTV batching thing doesn't really do that at all, actually. It's just saying that we're just going to pay for this later. Now, one, one thing that you could argue maybe would be a benefit is that it does let you batch with other things that you are doing later if you don't have, like, let's say you don't have, like, a ton of withdrawals right now, but you want to go ahead and commit so that the user knows they're going to get their coins. Um, and then they can batch it with other things later so that they can take multiple CTV batches and do the normal aggregation techniques and the normal signature batching sort of things with these separate promised transactions in the past with the, with the CTV version. So in a way, it could be useful, but it's only useful because it allows you to batch later. Now, I was trying to think of another way in which this might actually be uh, uh, useful, and somebody actually gave the scenario, which I thought was really cool, was let's say some government declaration or, or uh, uh, you know, executive order or really, really unfriendly regulation lands um, like, for instance, let's say Swan Bitcoin right now. Swan Bitcoin is in the United States. We don't really know what the regulations are going to be. And Swan Bitcoin is a business, you know, like like any exchange is going to have to adhere to the laws or they are going to get shut down. So how would Swan, how would Swan Bitcoin be able to protect a customer with this against something like that? So let's say it's known that an executive order is coming down and in one week exchanges are not going to be able to withdraw anymore you have to use a custodian and let's say blocks are full and there's like a million users on swan with balances on the exchange or balances on their service well they can't make they can't execute all of those withdrawals within that time frame but what they can do is they can send an internal transaction to themselves with all of those different users' different addresses and batch a CTV commitment, a promise to pay out to those addresses in a month or in two months or whenever it is. It doesn't, it, like, it's just a commitment that can be unrolled at any time, but that they can't undo. That is essentially a guarantee that those transactions have to happen later. And they can do it now before the executive order goes in and all million of those users, even though they can't fit it all into the time chain within the time allotted to them, with the time they have available, they can make it so that the government can't stop them from withdrawing. So that's actually a really interesting use case for something like that, that even though it doesn't change the amount of block space being used, uh, it can essentially give this guarantee to the the client to the customer that they are going to get their coins even if the regulation goes bad 
or, or you know, some government declaration comes down in a couple of days and they want to make that promise, they want to make that guarantee ahead of time to essentially protect their customers from that uh, authoritarian law. So in thinking about it, I thought that was a pretty interesting scenario uh, that, and I don't even remember who shared, who explained that, like while I was talking with him, uh, sorry for whoever that was on Twitter. Um, but I thought that was an interesting scenario. And also it kind of got me thinking about what the actual value of something like a CTV batch, like, like what the purpose of that was, is that it kind of behaves more as almost as like just a proof of reserves. You know, there's, there's an issue when you're auditing some exchange or third party that is holding coins on your behalf is that you always really kind of, you still have to trust their accounting that the amount they say they're liable for is actually accurate. Because if a third party just verifies that they have the amount of Bitcoin that they say they owe to their customers, but they're wrong or they're lying about how much they owe to their customers, well then your quote-unquote proof of reserves isn't really proof that you have reserves for the, for the actual subset of customers and the coins that they need um, or that they own. So what's interesting about that is that you could essentially use this to prove individually per customer that I absolutely have your exact coins and this is already committed to. And that's even if you needed it, you needed to leave like as the exchange or whatever. And with some subset where you have multiple keys involved in a logger and, you know, some uh, 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 partial custodial uh financial service, whatever it was, like, let's say there's like a bunch of other things, you can actually have it where the exchange still has, quote unquote, a way out, um, such that they could update the transaction and add commitments for new users. And it would essentially be a running proof of reserves for the service that they're using. Um, because that's really kind of all this really is, it's just, it's a, it's a promise. It's, uh, it's an on-chain promise. It's a promise of an amount and uh, of coins that would go to a specific address that you own that you can prove as part of a UTXO. But what's interesting is what you can do with that. Like what you can do with, you can take that guarantee where you don't really have another way out of it uh, without your explicit cooperation, much like a lightning channel or any other pre-signed agreement. So the reason my economic incentives were off is specifically because you have to participate in the creation of the address with your keys, with your public key, in order to actually be able to unroll it. Which means that no matter what you do, you are participating in your own commitment to pay any fee to unroll whatever transaction this is. So it's not unlike the exact same reason why the whitelisting problem that we talked about before isn't an issue, uh, is because you have to participate in it. To They can't encumber your address, something that was generated in your wallet, with rules or, in this case, a fee, a, you know, make it part of a big batch that's ex incredibly expensive to basically unfurl uh, neither one of those things can happen without your explicit cooperation. Now, I was actually going to try to figure out how to argue 
um, before I knew, before I realized that I was wrong about that, um, I was actually going to try to figure out an argument as to why all of the potential being able to dump all of this and uh, create an enormous amount of block space debt uh, on the chain was actually a good thing, which is pretty hard because it seemed like a really bad negative and a really bad economic incentive. But what's funny is that after after realizing how it actually works, the the, the proper mechanism, uh, it actually kind of makes that interesting. Um, so my argument was going to be, or I was going to attempt to argue at least, was that essentially having all of this block space debt, all of these committed addresses or committed transactions that were going to happen one day on the chain, it was essentially a way to ensure, to guarantee future use of the chain, such that when we move into the era where fees are the only thing uh, running the Bitcoin chain, that, that are paying for the security of the Bitcoin network and the hash rate, if we've essentially got an, a nearly unlimited or, um, you know, 30-year backlog on transactions to move through that we essentially unroll when uh, when there's space to unroll and they can sit waiting until that time comes is that it's essentially a guarantee of a security budget and full blocks pretty much indefinitely. Now those, what were at the time, uh, misaligned economic incentives by we were going to batch way, way, way too much and exchanges or, you know, uh, uh, just self-interested institutions would be able to offload this onto users or other people who were receiving the coins. Uh, that was still really bad just because it was going to incentivize us to forever increase that debt without ever actually clearing it out or having the ability to clear it out. But when you think about it just in the context of how it actually works, that you have to participate and you have to put, the only person you can put that debt on is yourself. What's interesting is that, you know, we have this space where you want the Lightning Network, you want the UTXO set to continuously grow. Because if there are all of these addresses with all of this amount of Bitcoin that could move at any time, it's essentially a user on the Bitcoin system, on the time chain, that is there to take up, to be demand for block space when the time comes or when demand is low. So if we can onboard people much, in a much quicker fashion and through commitments and through the... Uh, it's not unlike something that I talked about probably a couple of years ago now in how to think about the Lightning Network, but when we're talking about like channel factories, uh, Lightning Channels... Uh, payment pools now uh, that are much easier to do with something like CTV or any sort of commitment design where there's pools of people who are working together to make transactions and essentially everyone is holding a pre-signed exit or a CTV commitment to leave the agreement in the case that something goes wrong. That's kind of the beauty of what you can use CTV for, much like the Lightning Network design, is that you update continuously while everyone agrees and if someone doesn't agree, they can unilaterally exit and they've got the, the pre-signed agreement that says they get the coins that they own in this little agreement. This is essentially what CTV does. CTV makes a far, uh, a far simpler 
or um, far more directly committed exit rather than kind of a game theoretic exit like Lightning Network. The commitment as to who owns what is very explicit. But that's where we go back to this idea that I was talking about, um, that Bitcoin kind of becomes an ownership court, where we have this kind of expanse of off-chain, of second-layer agreements and payment pools and channels and all of these things where we're making payments and we're updating things and we're moving liquidity around within these, these cooperative arrangements. And it's only when something goes wrong that you suddenly need to publish a lot of this data to the chain or, or the, the UTXO specifically that you absolutely are the owner of these coins. So the general idea of commitments in that sense are actually really, really cool. And there's some pretty amazing things that you can do with them. Uh, however, I'm still, none of this, just a caveat now that I've talked about this for 40 minutes, none of this has actually changed my position on how it was introduced and the attempt to activate it randomly in two weeks via speedy trial. Um, the activation method. Because if I can go this many swings back and forth in how CTV works, what it could possibly do, uh, and, you know, get some of the fundamental pieces still wrong and just how to generate the thing after I've just been, you know, kind of spending a little bit of time every single day on it for like a week and a half, it just, again, it just seems like this, the whole the whole ecosystem was just blindsided by this that oh we're just going to we're just going to go ask miners to implement this even though really nobody has the slightest clue what this is and nobody knows what they're talking about or even if this is like i mean it makes perfect sense that everybody thought that this was attack this was an attack um i mean just the idea of trying to implement things that generally nobody knows about and i don't care about the arguments that oh well nobody knows the code to taproot but still, it's not the same thing. There was so many, there's huge differences between the general uh, comfort level, the, the level of discussion, the length of time that it was reviewed and discussed with the community, um, with episodes of podcast and with articles and uh, with discussions and, uh, you know, thread after thread and t uh, on Twitter. Taproot was just a familiar thing by that point. CTV is anything but. However, the more and more I learn about commitments in general and potentially the CTV, the specifically the CTV uh, implementation of commitments, uh, they're probably a really good thing to have. Um, and there's some really interesting things you can do with them uh, the more and more I dig into it. And I'm going to have an episode on uh, payment pools specifically because this is just a really really interesting construction of this um and i'm digging I, I kind of feel like it needs its own episode honestly and i'm also going to read shinobi's article on bitcoin magazine it's really short but it should make for a really good episode just talking about the the conflation of bit 119 of which, which is ctv there's so many dual names for all this stuff I'm using commitment, CTV, and BIP119 interchangeably, basically. Um, but uh, uh, that 
there's conflation around CTV itself and the activation method in the way that it was attempted to be pushed into the protocol or not really pushed into the protocol, but kind of pushed onto the community to make a decision about it. Um, as if, uh, you know, this was something that was, is, is, is a rush. It's some emergency that we need to figure out now. Um, and, uh, like I said, it's a really short article, but it's really good. Um, Shinobi, uh, is a big proponent of CTV, uh, and he does a good job of just kind of separating out, uh, the two issues at hand. Um, and I'm increasingly just kind of in that boat. Uh, CTV looks very interesting to me. Uh, the commitment idea looks very interesting, especially now that, or at least now that that one piece of the puzzle has fallen into place and it doesn't have that big concern that I was having in uh, Guys Take 54. Uh, and whereas I am still against the activation method, the how it was introduced, and that's why I'm still in the camp of no, we're not doing that. I don't want to do this. I'm, I'm not going to support it. I'm not going to push for having this activated. But I do at least, I at least can appreciate that it's good that the conversation has been started. That we're talking about this and we're talking about what could be a really good update to the Bitcoin system. Uh, and that we are moving forward. Um, that's, you know, the whole goal of this. We shouldn't implement taproot and then be like okay we're just gonna sit around and do nothing for a couple of years let's let's go ahead and talk about start talking about the next one that doesn't mean we're going to implement it any day uh you know next week or something like that but yes let's start talking about it and uh see if this is something that we want um so like i said i'm gonna dig into payment pools uh, uh probably in couple of days here um i got a couple of great great articles and things lined up as well um not just on ctv obviously <laughs> i don't want to spend six weeks just talking about this but really more than anything i just wanted to take this episode to clear up what i talked about in guys take 54 since i did get such a critical piece of the entire economic incentive structure wrong and it really kind of took the it was kind of like that one piece of the foundation that the entire scenario I laid out kind of crumbled. There are still potential concerns, or you could argue that just the idea of being able to onboard 100 users, thousands of users, a million users in a single block, even though it takes a lot of working together, um, so to speak, that it takes a lot of um, cooperation and commitments that the parties themselves actually have to participate in but even in that sense you could argue that that asymmetry that that level of being able to commit to future utxos could be uh could be a big burden so to speak could lead to bloat but I still I just don't think that it will happen that way for the simple purpose for the simple fact that they it makes more sense that they would use CTV or that they'd onboard people within payment pools within these systems where you can actually continue to move forward in them and update them as you go without actually having to explicitly having to unroll them to all of the commitments and having no other option uh because like I said that one to a thousand batch transaction using the commitments 
doesn't seem like that great of a tool. I actually just kind of expect it for the simple mechanism of like how fees work and the, you know, that you're committing to use this chain data later um, when you don't know what the fees are going to be. I, I just don't think it's going to be outside of times, maybe literally, where congestion is really, really bad. And for some reason, an exchange or a service or a group of users, like some joint thing, they need to con uh, commit to something that they need to attest that somebody has their coins, uh, but they don't want to, but they still want to delay until fees are low. That's literally, that's the only time that I can think it actually makes any sense to use that tool. They're really a lot more interesting things that you would do with CTV, and I would expect those things to be used far, far more than something like this. So anyway, we'll explore that soon. Um, like I said, I'm still digging through all of it, always. And i uh, got some great articles on the way, and I feel like I am cleared up enough that audiobooks are finally happening again. So... Uh, I'm super excited to get Knuts, everything there is, divided by 21 million, uh, get that finished up. Uh, that'll be the first one out the gate. And then I've got uh, Gladstein's, and then uh, hopefully it's still looking like uh, Sasha and Alan Farrington's, Bitcoin is Venice. Um, just there's, there's some stuff on the horizon. Hopefully, hopefully I've got a lot of fun announcements and some completed projects for you guys on the horizon. Until then, I'll keep smashing out some more episodes of Bitcoin Audible. Got lots of shit to cover here, uh, lots to learn about, and it has been an exciting few weeks in Bitcoin. I hope everybody got in their stack today below 30,000. A huge thank you to our sponsors, Swan Bitcoin, the Bitbox Hardware Wallet, and Fold, the stack sats, the sats back on everything in life debit card. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will catch you tomorrow with another episode of Bitcoin Audible. Until then, everybody, take it easy, guys. You have been listening to Bitcoin Audible, a 111 production. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.